Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Game Talk Live podcast. I'm your host, Mandy Roman, and if you'd like to watch the show live and interact with us in chat, you can find us at 2 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter at Game Talk Live. Enjoy the show. Today on Game Talk Live, we dissect the impact of Fortnite on its young demographic, the streamer space, and pop culture, plus the World Health Organization's recent classification of gaming disorder. Let's break it down. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Mandy Roman, and welcome to Game Talk Live, where we discuss the biggest video game news of the day, live with help from our chat audience. Joining me now are two expert guests to discuss these gaming topics and more. First up is John. John Brents is known for working all over the internet, managing and producing some of the largest creators on YouTube and Twitch at full screen. He also hosts a daily show on his own Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash kawaiigaiLA. Hi, John. Hi, Mandy. I'm super excited to talk about Fork Knife. Yay! I love it. And you're not so just much. here to talk about YouTube, so we're glad to have you I on. Know. That <laughs> makes me really happy. <laughs> All right, glad to have you. Also joining us is Ian Tingen, a social psychologist and fanboy turned producer and strategist. His firm, Power Level Productions, produces pop culture events and acts as relationship counselors between brands and fans. Hi, Ian. Hey, Mandy. Yay! All right, let's get right to it, guys. Tyler Blevins, a.k.a. Ninja, is the leading streamer of Fortnite, accumulating close to 9 million followers on Twitch and an average of 100,000 viewers on every stream. But with great power comes great responsibility. Ninja has pledged to cut down on explicit language to keep his content appropriate for all ages, which has been met with harsh criticism from the community. Is Ninja selling out by putting ratings on his streams, or is this smart business considering the demographics of his audience? John, break it down for us. Sure thing. So for the past several months, everybody in our sector in the digital circuit has been talking about advertiser-friendly guidelines. Everybody wants to make sure the content is friendly for all ages, ranging from G all the way up to those who might not enjoy our content. They just want to make content available for everybody. And looking at what Tyler is doing currently in Fortnite, he has amassed a major audience, and most of them are young kids. Most of them are elementary, middle school, etc. So creating content that is available for all ages, not just for those who feel as if you need to shout an expletive every single time you get shot in the game, I, I think it's a good thing. I think it's incredibly valuable for him to expand his, uh, his brand presence. I know there was the slip-up he had uh, a while back with a racial slur during rapping, and that affected him greatly in the scene. And I think it was just him realizing, you know what, I have a young audience i have to make sure my content is primed for everybody so i think overall it's a great thing the fans should not be upset at all yeah ian do you think it's just a vocal minority that's complaining about him quote selling out <laughs> well i mean this is the the funny thing about being uh in a digital space right being a digital personality uh anything can be amplified super quickly right um and i i, I don't like characterizing it as selling out to be totally honest um i'm i'm happy that Ninja has the kind of like financial safety and the social capital where he can make these kinds of decisions. Um, and I don't think his fan base should necessarily be the ones who get to dictate whether he's selling out or how his, uh, how his content's put out there, right? It's, it's right. his audience, it's his brand, he's the one who's responsible for it at the end of the day. Yeah. So uh, with the success of streamers like, say, XQC or Tyler1, who have massive followings, uh, could Ninja having uh, cleaner streams actually hurt his brand? Do you think it might diminish the amount of followers he has? John, you're already like grinning like that's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think 
it's absolutely absurd. <laughs> in what state do you have to constantly curse in order to make something appealing to a masses? I know there's the interest of like what happened with Logan or Deadpool and having these abrasive versions of comic book characters exciting people. But when it comes to streaming, if you want to have a massive audience, you have to be able to play to the masses. So you have to have content that's available to everybody regardless of their religion, regardless of how they feel about cursing, etc. Like, you just have to have content available to all. So, it, in no way is it going to damage his base. If anything, I mean, he showcased the, the largest, fastest growth on the Twitch platform and the YouTube platform for that regard uh, because of him opening himself to the masses. So, yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> thinks that's off the I mean, Yeah. Go ahead, Ian. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I mean, let's be real too, right? They're always making more kids, right? Like one of one of the hard, like kind of like capitalist like realities is that, you know, there's the you know when we're talking about people who have time to consume and where you can have actual growth in a lot of these channels, right? It's not with people like us who have you know day jobs and you know have to do the nine to five stuff. It's people who are you know oh well, they they, they care about things like language and their families want to be able to do things with them, right? Like. There, there's a very, even if you look past all the cursing and all the kind of censure stuff, there's a very kind of smart market reason to do this stuff. That's right? a very Ninja, interesting Ninja's, point. Ninja. Yeah. I think there was a publisher who said this to me recently as well. Is like the success of, like, let's say, for example, The Muppets or Sesame Street. Those are characters of which are bridged to, you know, young age groups. And because those are monsters, they effectively don't age. So you never feel at some point like, oh, I have to grow up with them or I have to make sure it's only geared towards younger. There's something that carries through us with their entire lives. So you look at The Simpsons, same deal. They're not aging. They're still the same characters that we uh, love and recognize. So when you look at a long-term streaming or YouTube business, you have to think in your business in the same uh, capacity of, am I having to age up with my audience or am I creating characters or a staple programming that can exist uh, evergreen. I don't have to age. I don't have to age down. I have to age up. It can just exist. And so for those who have the longevity, and if Tyler wants to build longevity, because he has experienced immediate success, uh, success, and rather hopefully it will last a long period of time, he has to look at how do I create something in a brand that will be evergreen. So sure. that's a concern for him, definitely. Right. And I mean, I know you brought up, uh, you know, more advertiser-friendly content, John. I mean, uh, yeah. he did just sign with Red Bull, being only the fifth mm -hmm. eSports pro, if you will, to actually sign with Red Bull. So a really big deal. Uh, Ian, do you think this will encourage other streamers to maybe be a little bit more positive or watch their language if they're seeing the success that Ninja's having? I think behind the scenes, yeah. Um, I think that you're going to see a lot of haterade being drank by a lot of people who are going to be, you know, shouting about, well, I don't want to be censured by ad dollars. But uh, I think quietly they will end up following, you know, what they need to to keep their career going. Right. Um, and there aren't. Well, I'll I'll leave it at that for now. Um, okay. <laughs> You I'm sorry, wanna... I forgot. This is a family show. Yeah, well, um, you just can't say <laughs> F-bombs, but please, you know, you can share with us. No, <laughs> no it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, right, to watch this kind of navigation that a lot of people have to do when they move from being, like, a fan of a game, which I still count a lot of people who are in kind of esports and in the esports uh, spotlight right now as fans, right? They don't have the kind of like professional training. They don't have the kind of professional mindset and the kind of business mindset to really start looking at what they're doing as a career longitudinally, like John was saying, right? Um, I think the ones that are more business minded, the ones that are more savvy will absolutely clean up their language, right? Because they know, they know uh, who's paying them at the end of the day and they want that house. They want to keep on doing those things that people who are employed do. 
Mm-hmm. That's uh, not too cynical. <laughs> that's, not, that's not too cynical. Uh, John, do you think uh, we're finally making strides towards maybe a community that rewards then positivity over toxicity? Or are we still have a of long course. way to go? <laughs> of course. Uh, you look at the platform of Twitch and what strides they have been making in terms of anti-bullying measures, auto-moderation features that are keeping that type of sour community away. It's Gaming has, for some reason, adopted this policy of you got to be aggressive, you got to be that dude who's in the base, all that type of jack. I'm just like, it's not that. Gaming is everyone at this point, and we need to fully embrace that people of all types will come into these sectors. And being positive and embracing communities and growing with those communities is the only way to be successful in the current marketplace. If you're a person who comes in, and I think of like early era, Angry Video Game Nerd, for example, was a character that was based on a person who was just like, get very angry about everything going on. Even Andre Meadows' Black Nerd Comedy was playing a character with Black Nerd rants. People don't necessarily want that anymore. Even the YouTube sector is fighting against the drama circuits right now. So. Feeding into a community of positivity is the means for success in the current era. It's not a matter of toning down, being friendly to everybody. It's just a matter of just being positive Mm -hmm. with everything you create. Sure. Now, you know, I look at Ninja and I don't necessarily see him as like, oh my God, he's so positive. He does all this outreach for the community. He's so amazing and great. You know, he only made one mistake. He said the N-word once. And I mean, I feel like we've put Ninja on this like pedestal of positivity. And do you think that's because the bar has been so set so low by other streamers, Ian? Um, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's... You know, it's, it's interesting, right? Like, it, on the one hand, we can kind of look at it like that, but I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more blue sky about it, right? Like, we're we're watching the evolution of a medium, right? Uh, not only for viewers, but for the people who are creating content, um, like live stream content, right? Uh, this is not necessarily something where I think that 10 years from now, we're going to be looking and saying, oh, look, you know, Ninja is so great for being super positive. But this, this feels like a natural evolution to me. This feels like the maturing of a platform. It feels like something that, while right now we may be like, well, he didn't have anywhere to go but up. But uh, I, I think that it's natural. I don't think that it's necessarily something that's like so horrible um, that you know it's, it's, it's never going to lose that kind of character of lowest common denominator. Sure. All right, so uh, John, can we attribute Ninja's success to Fortnite or the other way around? Uh, you can definitely attribute Ninja's success to Fortnite. If you look, I mean, uh, Tyler has been playing competitive Halo for many years, and he's done YouTube for many years. I've been watching his progress on that uh, for many years. <laughs> if we look at the success of Fortnite, Fortnite, for him, really started to pick up when it was placed in the upper right-hand side of the Twitch bar for their Twitch Prime promotion that they were running. We noticed that a large conversion of people who started playing Fortnite because of that would tune into his broadcast and see, well, what's Fortnite about? So they'd be driven to Ninja's broadcast on Twitch. So if you look at his success, it's directly attributed to, one, him being the person on the air willing to play Fortnite when nobody else truly cared about it, and two, Twitch promoting it in that top right corner, which in turn drove traffic to him. If those factors didn't exist, and then the third, I guess, being (laughs) if Drake hadn't found him on Instagram, messaged him, and in one evening drive 650,000 concurrence to a broadcast channel, that this never would have been what it is. I think it was for the first time we saw, oh, wait, Gaming is being recognized by traditional media, in this case, a major uh, icon in music. Uh, 
it was the first time where we saw, oh, it's not just something people do and watch in the arcades or on Twitch as a passive thing. It's, oh, traditional media has their attention. And then immediately all the agencies start calling, all the management groups start calling, all the brands start calling and being like, I want a piece of that. I want to be in the mix of their business. And that's where you saw Tyler overnight go, oh, my God, I have to start changing what I'm doing career wise because all mm -hmm. these dollars are starting to pour in. And what that does to a person psychologically is it's terrifying. Just the first 40 hours of fame, which effectively he had. So it's just adapting with that. So, yeah, thank you, Fortnite, for making him famous. But at the same time, like, don't chase the Fortnite game if you want to be famous now because it's already oversaturated. Mm -hmm. It's not worth entering. Yeah. Uh, March 14th was that date, and it has been commemorated in a new track by Drake, for those of you that are unfamiliar. So Drake has a new song about that very day. So yeah, it's definitely permeated into the, the nether of pop culture. It's crazy. Um, so let's talk about another similar title that I feel like had similar explosive growth. Uh, Minecraft, obviously another extremely popular title with a younger demographic. Um, and, you know, why do you think the drama around this particular title is maybe less frequent. Is that because Minecraft is just more acceptable because it's less violent, it's more creative? Ian, what do you got? You know, I, I think that the, the kind of trajectory of Minecraft in our cultural consciousness was a lot more of like kind of a, a flatter line than Fortnite, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, Minecraft, like, I think the first time that I really started you know, thinking about Minecraft when, uh, is when someone said, oh yeah, it's just like digital Legos, right? And that, like, Digital Legos does not have the same sort of kind of uh, persuasive or provocative character that, you know, a game like Fortnite, which is really kind of uh, absolutely trying to be a little bit more sensational, uh, has, right? Like, it's, it's Legos. Like, I don't know how, how, to, how to make Legos sexier. Um, you know, you need, you need a few more... Uh, Maybe you need a few more kind of controversies where uh, Notch decides to say some really horrible things on Twitter. Ooh, um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like it, it's it's it at its core, it was not designed to be something that's provocative. You know, and, and Fortnite is coming along uh, and stomping all over its predecessors, right? Like Epic has been going hard with this. They they are they have been smart about jumping on every opportunity that they can, uh, and they show no signs of slowing down. Minecraft didn't have that kind of mentality behind it, so. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think you're right about the trajectory and just Fortnite just being like, boom, here we are, and the growth just being crazy. So uh, considering, say, Fortnite's massive kind of permeation into general pop culture, um, do you think this game's maybe helping to bridge misunderstandings about video games between maybe gamers and their parents or just gamers and teachers or just, you know, people that maybe don't understand the space? John? I think what it's doing is it's at least enabled the conversation to occur. Uh, because it is so saturated across all platforms and in the like school spaces, workplaces, etc. Like Fortnite is on the same level. I, I guess the closest moment in time I can recall that's similar is like the Pokemon Go experience, where as right. soon as that came out, everybody was leaving the office to go on journeys together and to catch Pokemon and start a conversation around gaming. Because what Fortnite did to incorporate in traditional sector, as well as start to take over viewership on Twitch, YouTube, etc., I think the conversation is occurring now. Um, but that said, I don't think it is adding any clarification as to, well, why should I play this? Or, wait, why do you spend six hours doing this? What are you getting out of this? What are you learning from this? I don't think those conversations have occurred. But I don't know if Fortnite is the game for those conversations to occur. 
I, I look at the educational segments that Minecraft has done for folks, teaching them through programming blocks or through building 3D landscapes. Fortnite is starting to delve into that, it appears, but it's not really enabling on the same factor because at its root, it's a game based in violence. It's a game based in there's 100 people on a field and you have to kill everybody and hopefully be the last person standing. Which, uh, granted, we live in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, we all want to be at the top, and we all can agree upon that, but saying that that is what we're using to mm. uh, drive conversation about gaming probably isn't the right approach for uh, <laughs> a lot of America. So, Ian, what, I mean, should more teachers be using video games, or what title do you think is the best to maybe help bridge that gap and keep students engaged? I mean, as, as someone who is uh, occasionally forced to keep students engaged um, <laughs> as, as, as a professor. You know, I'm, I'm actually, I might push back a little bit on what John said. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is not a, a blanket, like a yay violence kind of statement, but I think that when you have a phenomenon like Fortnite happen, it's kind of incumbent on educators to at least try and understand why it's so popular, right? And that, that kind of cultural currency is a language that, uh, is available to everyone right now. I mean, especially with Fortnite's ubiquity across platforms, right? You can play it on your iPhone at this point. Um, it, it's it's a toolkit that's waiting if people are willing to take the time, by people I mean educators, if they're willing to take the time to kind of learn about what's going on and you know, trying to understand why going dusty is uh, a smart strategic move, right? Um, I don't know. I, I tend to go where I tend to go where uh, you can work smarter, not harder. And I think learning about Fortnite is kind of one of those work smarter moves. Sure. Mm. All right, guys, let's move into our second topic. Earlier this month, the World Health Organization ruled that gaming addiction is considered a mental disorder and should be treated as such. Bridled with Fortnite's rampant popularity, parents are more concerned than ever for their children's well-being in the gaming space. The WHO states that the way people can become addicted to games is similar to the way people become addicted to gambling. So do you think, will the comparison to gambling and the controversy around loot boxes maybe hurt the gaming industry in any way, either from a consumer or a publisher standpoint? Ian, why don't you start us off? Yeah, you know, as, as a social psychologist who uh, played a lot of WoW to get himself through graduate school when I wasn't working on, like, <laughs> dissertations and things like that, um, I can absolutely appreciate that these mechanisms, you know, that, that, that developers are using to kind of keep, keep people engaged in their games are absolutely there and they're absolutely present. Um, that said, I don't think that the phenomenon is well enough understood to start saying, oh, well, this is a disorder, right? Um, the thing that is kind of markedly missing from a lot of this conversation is the context in which gaming takes place. And uh, again, as someone who spent entirely too much time in uh, graduate school learning about how humans work, I can say that most labs don't know how the gaming kind of culture exists and, and the, the, the very complex nature of the systems that are surrounding it. Um, that said, it makes for a good headline to say, oh my God, your kids are addicted to gaming. But you know, then again, in like the 17, 1800s, people being addicted to reading made for good headlines too. So you know, take that as you will. <laughs> a solid point. Uh, so, I mean, John, on this similar point, have features in games like microtransactions and loot box made games more addictive or is the repercussion just more easily apparent because it's hitting parents in the pocketbook? I think it's anytime there's an exchange of dollars, people try to figure out, well, wait a second, I have to find a proof point to make sure my dollars don't continue to spend against something. And granted, the, the theory of the application of 
I give one asset, I get an asset in return potentially, and it is randomized. The same thing as buying those uh, blind boxes right. and toy stores. It's the same. It's just like it in, it it in, induces additional purchasing behavior. I guess is the the best way to look at it. Um, it's these things will continue to exist. It's consumer behavior. Like gaming is a consumer marketplace. Like they're going to continue to find ways to in, get us to purchase more. Uh, and I think it's just a factor of we have to understand limitations when it comes to that. I think education around it, similar to when you enter into a casino, here's the, you know, gambling addictions. They'll present you a little pamphlet of just like, if you feel like you're spending too much, here's how to step away or here's somebody to talk to. If you feel like it's starting to affect you financially in a means that you don't have the income to support what you're doing, I think a conversation should occur. But all of these factors of it's an addiction and it's a disorder, all this type of stuff, I just, I'm waiting for the day that somebody presents me a pill that's like, oh, this is for your gaming addiction, John. I'm just waiting for pharmaceutical companies to jump on top of this at this point. I feel like they're trying to place it a thing so more money can be made on other means. Oh, man, that's dark, John. What a bummer. <laughs> man, I've, I've, got, I've, got a, I've got a conspiracy theory, too. All right. I tell mean, us yours, you know, Ian. We, we want to go down that. I mean, so it's very interesting that we're having this conversation around the ICD, right, the International uh, Clinical Disorder Manual, uh, because, again, going back to the context of how gaming uh, happens in a lot of different worlds, like how games happen in America, what gaming culture is here in the U.S. is different than it is in Europe is different than it is in South America, is different than it is in a lot of parts of Asia, right? Um, there's actually this really great article that uh, Ian Bogus just uh, put in the Atlantic a couple of days ago talking about uh, gaming disorder. Um, what if, you know, what if we've got people who are lobbying because of the way that games are played in particular regions of the world, what if we've got people lobbying to make this a thing? So, uh, you know, essentially, the entire world is having to pay for the sins of one particular area that's got more concentrated problems with gamers and gaming uh, than other parts of the world, right? Um, it's a really kind of sticky question. And can we, can we really get into one-size-fits-all with the way that games are played and consumed? I mean, I'm not comfortable saying that. You know, context is everything. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about teachers utilizing Fortnite maybe as an incentive in their classrooms, but it's also been revealed that top career choices for young kids or are like Twitch streamers or YouTubers or pro gamers. So how do we kind of help distinguish maybe uh, what is an addiction when it comes to a video game and what is talent then to go pro? Are they one in the same? John, so I know it's a loaded question, well, but do yeah, what you there's, can. There's a lot. There's a lot to break apart there. So yeah, I've I've read many articles stating that everybody wants to be an influencer, everybody wants to be a streamer, everybody wants to be a professional gamer because of what they perceive it to be. So when I'm looking at video games, or in this case Fortnite, we have to look at well, what are actually the kids perceiving Fortnite to be? Is it a game you play that eventually you start making millions of dollars like Tyler Blevins on Twitch? If that's the purpose, then that's a completely different why statement for why they're playing. They're not addicted. They're seeking fame or they're seeking revenue out of that. So I think we need to look at, from a base standpoint, why are they playing? What is the purpose they're playing? What are they seeking from that? And then have the conversation with the students in the room of, you know, what is it about this game that will help you achieve those goals of which you're looking towards the future? It's the same way that guidance counselors will meet with students and say, well, what pathway do you want to take in university? What stories do you want to tell or what career path do you want to take? If it's just, I want to be an influencer, that's not a career. And in fact, anytime <laughs> a person comes in my office and says that, I tell them to walk out. I want nothing to do with them because that is such a misguided perception of what the space can be and what you should be creating in the space that it just, it leads people down the wrong path. And so I think teachers, educating students on 
how can you take this game? How can you tell stories from it? Or perhaps what you like about this game, you can make yourself and how let's build that into a career. I think there's ways we can transition the conversation away from being another Tyler. Sure. Ian, what do you got? You want to add your thoughts? I mean, it's the the interesting thing about, you know, kind of hearing that kids want to be streamers and they want to be influencers, right, is that um, unlike, you know, when I was a kid and I played entirely too many video games and I pointed like, but look, the wizard is a thing, right? People can play games <laughs> on a world stage. Um, you know, I, I think now uh, we, we've got parents that are a lot more savvy to kind of the ways that we interact with each other, uh, especially digitally. And I agree like 150% with everything John said, but I hope that uh, we're also telling kids about the amount of hard work that it takes to really you know, become someone like Ninja, the amount of hard work that it takes to put out content, right? I think there's a lot of great discussions that can be made about, well, if you want to build yourself up, um, yeah, you, you can do that, but it's not going to be Fortnite that makes you big. It's going to be you that makes you big, right? It's going mm -hmm. to be yourself. It's going to be how you interact with your community. Um, and I think That's that- exactly if, it. If, if, yeah. Yeah. And if, if we're only talking about the gaming part or like the kind of things that people uh, that influencers are using to be famous on, we're not talking about the hard work of the person. I think that's where we can really focus and uh, get, get a lot more good out of it. Sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, does this disorder need its own unique classification? Is gaming addiction any different than being obsessed with another form of media? I mean, I just think of all the people sitting watching Netflix for 10 hours on a Saturday or whatever it is. I mean, John, what do you think? Sure. The, uh, what is it? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I think that describes every single World of Warcraft experience I had while raiding, uh, expecting me <laughs> to get that loot drop. So I think we can classify anybody who is effectively addicted to playing the same thing over and over and over again as having some level of pushing towards insanity, I guess. I don't think we need a separate Not a disorder, just concept. just pure insanity is what you're it's saying. It's pure insanity. <laughs> well, I'm oh, screwed. But then, again, but then again, I am <laughs> yeah, not a psychologist right. or a psychiatrist, so, but I just think it's just like you're doing the same exact thing, and for what purpose? What goal? Yeah. All right, Ian, as a, you know, our, our psychologist professional over here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Let me stroke my beard first real quick. I think I have to there do that go. before That's I... <laughs> You know, it's you know, it's it's, just, it's it's funny that you mentioned WoW and running the same instance over and over and over again, right? Because like, yes, that is the definition of insanity: waiting for that time that I can finally roll neat on something that I've been wanting for like six months. But I also think of again the context in which that happens, right? Like in the, you know, in the vent chat, right, with the same people who I'm learning about uh, while we're waiting for different you know instance runs to happen, right? Wait, Ian, you uh, again, have to clarify. Not everyone knows what vent and ventrilo or team speak is or was. So I'm sorry. <laughs> All fans Discord. Oh god! Go back before Discord. No, so it, it was a, a method. Ventrilo was something that you could use to talk to your teammates, right? It was kind of a precursor to Discord. It was something that was kind of a social tool that was on the back of a lot of games like World of Warcraft. So if you're going in with your guild or your raid group, uh, you, everyone goes and gets on vent instead of getting on Discord or whatever, and that's how you kind of coordinate things, right? And, and again, focusing on only the game, right, on only World of Warcraft uh, really pulls out all the social elements that happen, pulls out all of the other kinds of tactical and, and uh, personal things that can happen in that environment. Because inherently, when you're doing stuff with other people time and time again, it's not just the game that you're playing, right? You're learning about these other people. And in... In every conversation that I've heard, uh, you know, dating back to World of Warcraft and even 
when people were complaining about arcades. It's it seems really interesting to me that conveniently the social benefits are left out uh, when the addictive behavior of the individual is the thing that gets focused on. And I think that's kind of intellectually disingenuous. So. I 100% I agree. Uh, I know some people that have put uh, raid leader or guild leader on their resumes for job positions because it is a leadership position and you're having to wrangle a bunch of cats on Ventrilo or TeamSpeak or whatever chat uh, you know function you're using. So is that you know maybe what makes gaming a very unique hobby is that there's this potential for online interaction with real people. There's you know this this drive for achievements, things like that. John, I think we just need to break the stigma of all people online you chat with are those creepers who are resting in the Motel Six down the lane. I think we need to make sure people know. No, when I'm communicating with folks in my games. They're friends, they're colleagues, they're coaches, they are uh, potentially people that I can learn team strategies from, you know, to Ian's point. It's just, if we can break through and let people know, no, the same way that I use Facebook and you use Facebook or other social platforms is the same type of behavior that I'm having inside of a video game. And if we can find a way to bridge that common understanding, I think we'll be far more successful in getting that through. But I think that's the breakdown it always seems to be is like, wait a second, you're playing with real people? Yeah, while you sit on Facebook and yell at person in Kansas about your political views, you're doing the same exact thing as I'm doing fighting against a guy over in a farm here on Fortnite. Right. But, but John, let's be real, that those political things in Kansas don't often have to do with the habits of my mother offline. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <Sorry. laughs> so there was a, a recent case uh, in the UK of a very uh, young girl that is now in therapy for a gaming addiction, and a quote from her parents says, she is in therapy for the addiction after she became withdrawn, agitated, and disturbed from playing up to 10 hours a day. This is in reference to Fortnite. Uh, sometimes playing until dawn, wetting herself so she didn't have to leave the screen. So... This sounds like a little bit of a blame to Fortnite. And I mean, I, I just, we don't necessarily blame Jack Daniels or the alcohol company for alcoholism. So I'm not sure why the video game space is any different. So I asked to you guys, how can we as members of the gaming community help the world move away from using video games as the scapegoat? Ian, start us off. Uh, other than all of us sitting down and wetting ourselves during marathon sessions of Fortnite, I think that uh, you know, I think that uh, to be to be totally frank, though, uh, communication and and understanding again that we are in kind of this emergent societal uh, event, right? You know, the fact that we are having this conversation seriously and that the talking heads that are kind of picking this up in this moment are people who are familiar with gaming, who have got that history of being on Ventrilo and all those other old man tools, right? Uh, not being afraid of talking about it and not backing down when we hear people say things like, oh, well, gaming is an addiction and a disorder and a horrible set of circumstances. We have the tools because we have the experience of knowing that gaming is more than that and just kind of pushing back and, and educating people when we come across them, right? You know, even my parents are like, okay with gaming now and they understand that it's a lot more than it used to be, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, yeah, just just advocate, like we're, we already have the tools, just talk. Yeah, all right, John, what do you got? Ian was very diplomatic there. Where the hell was the parents? It's like, if you're having a kid <laughs> sitting for 10 hours, unplug the machine. You have the ability to take the items away if you see that it's damaging your child. Don't always deflect on, well, it's their fault and I'm not going to converse with them. No, 
talk with the children, if, especially about video games. If that's their passion, they're going to want to talk to you about it. That is an immediate open for the conversation. It's the same way like when we go to convention events. If there's an introverted individual and you see they're wearing a Legend of Zelda shirt, I will approach and say, oh my god, well, what was your favorite Zelda game? And immediately opens up. Kids are the same way. We can't treat it as if it's a disorder. i got to put them in treatment. got to go to rehab because I deflected onto somebody else. That is junk. That is a junk mentality. Have conversations with your kids if it reaches that point. I don't know. I get so upset about that. Always deflecting on the games are the reason for violence. Games are the reason my kids aren't doing their schoolwork. There's other factors at play. Yeah. Let's be real. Yeah. Um, and uh, this gaming can also be an outlet for some people that are maybe a little socially awkward or not as comfortable in a real life setting to have that communication. So I think we need to look at it in a positive light too and that gaming can actually be good uh, for people so this has been a great discussion guys a huge thank you to all of our viewers and our guests uh, tell us what you're currently working on and where people can find you on social media starting with john sure thing uh you can of course find me all over social media at kawaii guy la right now i'm going through persona 5 and about 50 hours in i got another 60 hours to go on my twitch <laughs> oh my channel God. so i hope to see you all on there <laughs> thanks john all right ian what do you currently have going on yeah uh, so you can find me on twitter at this is iwt um and you'll be seeing me a lot out in the real world uh, at anime expo and san diego comic-con across the next couple of weeks when i'm not practicing cody in street fighter 5 arcade edition thanks for listening to today's episode of game talk live if you like what you hear give us a follow on facebook twitter and instagram at game talk live Mandy Roman, signing off.